This is John Grills from the Creepy Podcast. With Best Christmas Ever on AMC+, Plus, every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern iconic family classics like The Polar Express and The Year Without a Santa Claus, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men. New series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. And you're also getting your favorite iconic Christmas movies without having to search. AMC Plus is available on all your devices. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. My name is Manuel Veth and I'm once again joined by Tim. Tim, bright and early here in Vancouver this morning, isn't it? And um, we have some really good topics to talk about, but sometimes it can get hard, be hard to get up this early just to uh, chat, eh? Exactly. No, it's six, 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock in, in Vancouver and it's slightly early, but we need to communicate to um, uh, to to make it comfortable for our international guest. Yeah, exactly. And our international guest is Andrew. And Andrew, uh, you still, well, what is it? The, the motherland or the fatherland or whatever do they call Britain? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're still in the UK, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I'm still in the UK. Um, in about 12 hours time, I'll be on the plane leaving. But um, before I go, got to have the football, po- football grad podcast on. So, um, yeah, sorry about getting you guys up early, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, looking forward to this one. Well, we do have a work life as well, so we might as well get it started and done with early in the morning. And we have some pretty interesting topics to um, this week. Um, but, you know, first of all, starting about one of the topics, you are doing or you're trying to do accreditation for a couple of games that will take place next week. Um, how is that going, Andrew? Uh, not as smoothly as I'd hoped, <laughs> to be honest, but, um, yeah, no, I'm still plugging away at that and hopefully get to see, uh, CSGA playing Manchester United. And you and I, of course, watched two years ago, didn't we, Manu? Um, the 1-1 draw in our favourite stadium in Moscow. Um, but, uh, if I'm being perfectly honest, I see this year being an infinitely more entertaining game, um, basically for two simple reasons. Manchester United are a far better side now and Cisco is showing a lot of good form recently. Um, I mean, that Benfica result two weeks ago has really, really changed that group around. So that'll be a fascinating contest. It really will, you know, dictate how the season goes. And the Spartak against um, against Liverpool, well, I mean, two of the most historic clubs in the two countries that I care about. So, you know, fingers crossed. Hopefully, accreditation will come through, and I'll do some plenty of reporting for football grad for those, um, regardless. But looking forward to it. Uh, Andrew, who will you be supporting? Well, I mean, it's a it's a dead easy one in the, <laughs> the Liverpool Spartak, Spartak all the way. But uh, in the Manchester United game, I, I'm a Manchester United fan first and foremost. So, uh, of course, I'll support Manchester United in that game. I'm just good kind answers. of hope- very good answers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's uh, I do have 
of the top Premier League clubs, I suppose Tisca, I do have a soft spot for. I've seen them more than the others, but uh, nah, Manchester United for me um, next week. <laughs> and I mean, let's stick to that game, actually. And he says, you said, you know, um, we've been to this fixture two years ago. Is it been two years? Wow. Anyways, um, it feels like they play this game every couple of years, and that's because they do. Uh, I think this is one of the most drawn Champions League fixture in the group stage there is. Um, them and Bayern, Tsiska Moscow also played Bayern, I think, three years in a row. So that's something really ridiculous. But uh, what do you expect from this game in particular? And this is this is mostly from the Manchester United side of things. Well, it's it's a very interesting one to call, Manu, because last time, you know, when we went two years ago, one one was pretty much what I I think I expected, and and that's what turned out. But this time. I expect Manchester United to dominate possession for, for two very simple reasons. The team has improved immeasurably since then, the midfield in particular. Um, Nemanja Matic will play a very important role uh, as a tall, strong, defensive midfielder. I suspect Marouane Fellaini will play as well because Paul Pogba will be injured, and that's a big, big miss for Manchester United. Um, and, and also because uh, Jose Mourinho is the manager, and he's obviously very well well known for being very tactically astute for getting the results that he wants and that he needs in Europe. And I think it's fairly safe to say that it won't be the most expansive Manchester United, not by not based on or compared to the rest of the season. Um, so I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it's necessarily going to be a high scoring game, but I think it'll be more quality in it. And they, I think the interesting part will be from Tesco's point of view, the number of youngsters that Gonchenko has been playing recently. It might be a bit of an unknown quantity for Mourinho and United because, you know, the likes of Jamalietinov, um, Kuchev, you know, these guys might be playing and they won't, they won't know anything about them really. So that might actually be Gonchenko's ace in the pack. So interesting to see the team selection. But that's roughly how I see it going. And I don't I think Manchester United will be favourites. I think they will win, but I don't think by more than a goal. That's an interesting prediction. I think that Manchester United this season are a lot better than they were two years ago. You know, um Louis van Hal, his football didn't really seem to fit Manchester United's football. And I'm not quite sure if Mourinho does either. I know you guys have a history of wanting to play very attractive football, but that was under Ferguson, right? And that might never come back. And Mourinho is someone who, um, he gets results more than anything else. And, uh, I think that is maybe bad news for, for CSKA. Um, but that said, I, I'm pretty impressed as well. And I mean, Tim, we talked about that already last week a bit, but the fact that he is finally playing Timo Shamaletinov and we have an article on Timo Shamaletinov. On football, football grad and Timur Shadlmaletinov three years ago was named by the Guardian as one of the top 60 youngsters in Europe. And then you didn't hear anything from him anymore. And here he is all of a sudden and he's looking like a real talent, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And I slightly disagree that you have what we haven't heard because he was very good in the youth champions league. That's right. Yeah. He is. So he, he was still like, he's still super young. So. Um, I, I'm, I'm wondering how Guardian really spotted him. That's a good eye, good for them. Uh, but um, he he's one of the many youngsters who's just uh, coming into Tsk squad. And like we said on, uh, like I said on the previous pod, I think they're doing exactly right.
right, given the financial difficulties which the club and uh, the owner currently are going through, uh, that's the great approach to just integrate uh, lots of youngsters. And at the same time, they have a coach who is uh, one of the best coaches in Russia in terms of working uh, with young players. So that's a right, um, the right, right appointment, <clears throat> right, just right vision for the club, given their financial difficulties. And the, he's near, not the only one. He is definitely one of the most talented on the squad, but they have quite a few, um, other, like obviously Golovin, which he, who played for, for Russia already. And they have quite a few, uh, talented players also even um, Vitinho is still young mm-hmm. um, so but I also slightly I'm I'm, I'm one like I'm curious why Andrew thinks that you know they might be a surprise because Mourinho is known for doing a meticulous very very good preparation for every game and this is how he does I don't think those youngsters will be a surprise for him because he does prepare for every single game his his staff does that so I don't think that there will be any surprises for them uh, to be quite honest as much as I want the Russian clubs to or some of them to do well in uh, in uh, Europe in Europe I don't see many chances given United's form and just given the state where it says guys right now the only hope is that they are playing at home but United has been phenomenal this year yeah and you have to keep in mind that that you mentioned the u19 right they did play um csgas u19 as well two years ago so they will know some of these kids um mm-hmm. from when united played them and you know anyone who's done any kind of work with any kind of club knows the meticulous scouting reports uh, and we're, we're talking books the thickness of the bible um yeah. you know every player is categorized, cataloged, etc. So I, I think Mourinho will know exactly the way um, they're playing. Um, really quickly, Andrew, we're talking about all those youngsters at CSKA and that's that's a fantastic development. But the Achilles heel remains their defense and that's something where United can really hurt them, right? I mean, they, we're talking about defense that's over 100 years yeah. old and uh, I, I think that's, that's something when you, know, when you play against the likes of Lukaku um, something that would concern me. Yeah, absolutely. That's the. Uh, I mean, and it sounds like a broken record, but it's only that because it is true and has been for so long that that's been the worry about Siska. I think. I mean, personally, I think it's an opportunity that shouldn't be missed for Man- from a Manchester United point of view. I think a lot of pace should be picked up front. So, with that in mind, um, Lukaku picks himself um, up front. He's on great form. Scored five goals in five league games and he's just an obvious source of goals um, but I would play alongside him or behind him however you line up the formation I'd certainly play the likes of Anthony Martial who played last time when we were watching and remember we were watching closely Manu how we said the first half of the game two years ago Martial was quite reserved he was told to stay back a bit and the second half he pushed on um, and he exposed Mario Fernandez's. Uh, tendencies to get forward. I think Martial is, is an absolute no-brainer. He's got to play this game, but I bet you anything he won't. Um, Marcus Rashford should play. He's got electric pace as well. Um, and then behind them, you could have a schemer like Henrik Mkhitaryan, who's um, who's assisted about five or six goals already this season. Uh, and you have a forward line like that, Siska's defence is really, really going to struggle. My gut instinct is that that's not how adventurous Mourinho is going to be. I think he'll probably play the likes of uh, Matic, Herrera and Fellaini in midfield, uh, Mkhitaryan, Juan Mata and possibly, possibly Marcus Rashford. But um, that's that's what he tends to do in these sort of games. 
um, which would be a mistake because, like you say, the defence is there for the taking if you pick the right players. Mm. Oh, we'll keep an eye on that. I think that's going to be a fascinating game to watch. Um, and is one out of you know two English English Moscow uh, clashes on that during that week uh, because the other one. Or no, this is of course the maybe one of the big games um, of this upcoming Champions League match day is Spartak Moscow against Liverpool. And it's a big one uh, because, you know, two teams, two very historic teams, two teams that um, have struggled in recent years. Although, you know, uh, Spartak have broken the duck and won that championship this year. This year, um, But, you know, seem to struggle a lot this season. And Tim, you managed a 1-1 draw against Maribor and you were happy about it. I mean, we chatted about it afterwards when we were in Vancouver together and you seemed to be quite elated about the result. But I, I think there should have, there could have been more in that game for Spartak if they had executed it the right way. Um, you're, yeah, you're right, Mano. The way uh, Spartak played and the way the game went, it looked like they uh, deserved and were a better side and looked like they were going to get three points. But I just know history and over 20 years of following Spartak in Europe, this is the mistakes we make. This is the classic Spartak performance, and I was actually expecting something like that to happen at the end of the game. So when uh, Maribor tied 1-1, I wasn't surprised because this is exactly what Spartak does in Europe. And we, uh, when it's everything set up for us... Um, Spartak does, doesn't get it. Like this is this is this is a classic thing, um, tying with the, supposedly the the weakest team uh, in the group. But at the same time, transitioning to the next week's game, w- even given all the problems that Spartak is going for now, right now, and there are quite a few, uh, we are when we are in the corner, we perform the best. So I'm. I'm generally very pessimistic about Spartak chances in this uh, Champions League, and I think Europa League will be a fantastic result. Um, and the, there's there's no way they're going to make it to the playoff of Champions League. So the goal is to get to Europa League, in my opinion, to be realistic. But given all that my pessimism and all the troubles, I know that when we're stuck in the corner, we'll perform the best. So I'm reckoning in this game, at home against Liverpool, against mighty Liverpool with their brilliant attack, we, we might have a chance. And this is actually... The, the best game uh, that I think we can have a chance. Given all the problems, given all the troubles, this is this is when we will perform at home against Liverpool. And I'm reckon I'm I'm not saying we will win, but we will. I I, I think we will get the result. Yeah, Tim, I want to stay with you for a moment here because I kept a close eye on Spartak's game against Tosno on Sunday, and it ended up being a pretty unfortunate result for them. But I look at the tactical lineup here and it's a 5-4-1, a flat 5-4-1, so which means a five in the back, um, you know, with two wing backs, uh, Pasalic, Fernando in midfield, Rocha and Samedov left and right, and then Luis Adriano, the single striker. Uh, Quincy Promise came off the bench, which was, of course, a big bit of a surprise, although I guess the whole career is rotating because of the Champions League. So that makes and, kind of and sense. And the cup, cup today. And, and the cup today. Yes. That's right. Against Kuban. Um, but they had this game and they gave it away. And when you look at the tactical schematics that were on sports IU, you can see that the execution often was lacking, you know, when the team was already on his back. And I, I understand that the, the tying goal in the end was, um, suspiciously offside, but it, it's, it's a typical 
typical for Spartak right now, isn't it? That games that would they would have easily seen through last season um, yeah. slip through their fingers quite easily right now, and it's because uh, I did the uh, preview for Liverpool for this for the for the Spartak um, Liverpool game, and the one thing that I've noticed is that the execution isn't there, the the, the consistency isn't there, and um, they don't seem as tight in midfield than they were last year. Absolutely, absolutely right, man. They, uh, last year we would have, we would have won this game no problem. And that's the main difference. So that we not, uh, Spartak doesn't get points in the games where they should be getting points and, and in the games where last year, uh, they were, uh, getting points. This is the fifth game, uh, in the season which Spartak lost when they were leading. It was Dinamo, Tsiska, Lokomotiv, Maribor, and now Tosna. Five games, yeah, losing from the win position. That just shows the, you know, the 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 focus is not there. The you know the I, I don't I don't know. Uh, but uh, you're absolutely right, man. I, to much in my opinion, the biggest problem, the the playing food, uh, the the football problem which Spartak has is the very poor form of Fernando. He is not himself, and um. People been saying that Promise is the best player on the team. Maybe he is the best player on the team. But in my opinion, last season Fernando was the most impo- important player because everything for go- was going through him. In my, I think I'm not mistaken if I say he averaged 89% uh, pass accuracy over the season. It was something ridiculous. It was like almost heavy numbers. Maybe it w- it wasn't 89. Like I remember some games he had 95% pass accuracy. It, it was almost like he was playing a center defender. The this game against Tosna, his pass accuracy was 69. And I think that tells you everything. He is the player who, who orchestrates the whole game. And last year, he didn't make any, mis- didn't make any mistakes. This year, he makes a lot of mistakes. And those mistakes in the key position results in counterattacks, in uh, lost opportunities. And this is the biggest, um, problem for me playing wise and just um, uh, and obviously there's something going inside the dressing room because first time in in the history of Massimo Carrera working at Spartak he was absolutely furious after the 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 game and his interview was completely on fire and he just pretty pretty much yelled at the journalist and he was yelling that I have no explanation for this result you have to talk to the players so he publicly uh, blamed the players and that never ends up being good. Of course, then the, the, the management and Carrera himself came up to the interviews and they said that they had a conversation. They calmed the things down, but it still shows you that not everything is perfect in, in, in Spartak. There's quite a few things um, happening inside the team and which is could be good for Liverpool fans. They might expect that, um, that okay, we, we go into Spartak when they go in for some serious trouble, but uh, this is when we perform the best. Yeah, I mean, this is also Champions League is something completely different than, than exactly. league, league form. And I, I think you're absolutely right. And, um, Fernando is, you know, is such a key player. We outlined him, um, last season in, in a football grad article in a scouting report that we did. And, um, I personally thought that he was, that he is. I still think he's a fantastic player. I think he is exactly the um kind of midfield player that you want um mm-hmm. in order to be successful because he's such a presence right and his, his statistics actually weren't too bad uh his pass accuracy was 81.5 percent according to sofa score although we've learned the hard way term that um <laughs> you can, the statistics um don't always coincide with what we see on the pitch so but you know he will have to be on form and that that is really something you know that 
we have to look out for, you know, Fernando, um, is the one who keeps together the midfield. And if his consistency isn't there and is the, the, he can't keep the midfield coherent, then they struggle and they have, have struggled in the past. And it's really hard to put a finger on it. I, you know, I heard from, um, a couple sources that the, the, the uproar after the, uh, result in uh, the Petrovsky stadium in St. Petersburg against Tosno was huge. You know, the different breast, breast people were saying different things and Trachtenberg, the, um, press attaché for Spartak, he, he seemed almost confused and, um, that's not a good sign. And, you know, when I did the, the preview for, for Liverpool, I did it with the, uh, with the asterisk saying, well, we might have to rewrite it because two more rad results. We don't know what's going on with Carrera. So, so quickly, Tim, what do you think are the chances that Carrera would get fired if there's two more bad results? Oh, um, good question and a very painful question for me because I believe in Massimo Carrera and I think he should, there should not be a conversation about him being fired as long as there's no obvious conflict inside the team, which we don't know, we can only suspect. But uh, it looks like it's it's they like they, they say they fixed that they had this uh, massive meeting uh, at their training ground at Tarasovka and apparently they all came out friends out of it but obviously you know when the coach publicly madly blames the, the players that would never go well and i don't think the players were happy to hear that even they completely gave away that that game um there are few sources of uh, the leaders of the dressing room being unhappy, and that comes also from Kov's uh, new contract. He looks like he finally agreed to the new deal, but it's been happening for the past few months, so he was unhappy. Uh, that also added to the you know, general uh, unhappiness in the team. But speaking about Massimo Carrera, I don't think that specifically bad results will... Uh, will be the indication that he would go. I think the, like, even, even like, you know, if there's a series of, of poor results, I think at least he should work or he will work until the end of, until the winter break. I think given the, all his success from the previous year and like, they, I don't think they have the right to fire him after a series, after 10, uh, not so impressive games. I don't think Fidum will do that. Uh, only, um, you know, potentially him being fired, I think that might only happen during the winter break. But with the, like I said, with the, like you said, with an asterisk, only if there's no an obvious conflict between him and the players when just they cannot work together anymore. But uh, it, we, we don't know. Uh, all the indications show there's something going on inside the, inside the team. But obviously, we have no idea uh, what's actually happening with those those people. But uh, my hope is that they fixed everything. I will be always looking a glass half full uh, that they fixed everything. They will uh, win today against Kubain, and then they will ho- hopefully um, perform greatly against Liverpool. And hopefully, this will be our turning point of the season. That's my positive thinking. Yeah, and you know what? It it's only match day ten, and when you look at exactly. who's who's, uh, I think Sydney they're gonna probably run away with it. But when you look at who's second and third, exactly. I think there's still a chance to reach at least you know one of those top three spots and uh, qualify for the Champions League again. Uh, we're six points away, so it's it's, yeah. it's not it's not good, but it's not uh, we're not relegated yet. No, exactly, and I think that is. That, that, the other thing that you're saying is like, um, you have to back to the wall, right? And that's, that's when you perform at your best. And that is maybe, and then Andrew, I want to give this to you. If you're Liverpool 
and you're traveling to Moscow. First of all, this is probably one of the best times to travel to Moscow because it's September. It's still uh, fall. It's still kind of warm there. And, uh, you know, we were at the, at the Champions League games during November, um, late October and November when it was really, really cold already. So this is already a plus. But if you're Jurgen Klopp, you are facing the side and, uh, you know that the side is, has their back to the wall. How do you approach this game? And I mean, Liverpool have a very strong team, but at the same time, we've all seen, um, what happens to teams when they go back to the Champions League group stage for the first time in a while. And how difficult it is for them to make that adjustment to play, you know, weekend, midweek, weekend, midweek. And um, we saw that sort of in the first group stage match against Sevilla where they played 2-2. So what will Jurgen Klopp do, um, Andrew? Well, I mean, if he can keep his head cool, um, then realistically he should realise that he's got exactly the sort of players who can cause... Uh, Spartak a lot of problems. When you've got a forward line that revolves around Roberto Firmino, who's a very intelligent player, and he didn't get initially a huge, a hugely warm reception from well, non-Liverpool fans in England initially, but people are starting to realise how clever he is with his movement and how hard-working he is. And I can see that if he if he gives them the licence to, to press hard and high early on, if Ilya Kutupov is playing, he's he's a player that is he looks nervous at the best of times. But if he's playing against a confident Liverpool attack line, then it really could be it could be a game that Liverpool could expose Spartak for. So from a Liverpool point of view, my my approach simply would be if I was Jurgen Klopp, I'd say, look, just play your normal game. Don't look at it as oh dear, we're going all the way over to Moscow to Russia to the freezing cold. We'd better just take a point and be happy with it. If they have any ambitions, they really ought to be targeting the win here. Um, now, I, I think a lot of the problems for Liverpool will probably come from the mental side of things in their head. They'll be thinking, well, it's a long way to go. It's Sparta at Moscow for the players themselves. It'll be a bit of the unknown, at least. You know, they last night, OK, it's not an important game, admittedly, but the League Cup, one of your favourite competitions, Manu. The what? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, is this the FA Cup? Is this the FA Cup? <laughs> what was the, this? Um, the League Cup? You guys have two cups. The, the, Car- <laughs> the, the Carabao Cup, Manu. The, the, the one that has a draw in China at 4 a.m. in the morning. No. In China. <laughs> but no, they, they played Leicester last night. Leicester had a, well, both sides had a relatively experimental side, but um, Leicester scored twice in the second half and and Klopp was furious in the post-match interview um so he was he was pretty angry last night but I think he'll have calmed down by next week and as long as he does I think that's that's all they really should be thinking of doing play their own game and play their best players and if they do then unfortunately Tim I hate to say it but I think Liverpool probably will win but I desperately hope that they don't um so we'll see will they have the mental strength to get through it Manu, question for you, because in my opinion, like to me, it's an easy game for Carrera because he knows exactly what the Liverpool strengths are because they're amazing going forward and running into those spaces and to those open zones. Uh, but so it's easy for, for me to see Spartak just sitting deep and not giving those zones to, to Liverpool and just being organized and, uh, and, and defending. Would you see Klopp changing that and then 
giving the giving the ball to Spartak so they have those spaces or would he go to his like you know gegen pressing and all that style do you see him changing and being Klopp being a little bit defensive I love Jurgen Klopp and I've met Jurgen Klopp he is an amazing person but I don't think he can change his tactics Tim he plays exactly. he plays the way he plays that's full throttle heavy metal football all the way forward and um you're exactly right Massimo Carrera will sit deep, very deep, and soak up the pressure and try to hit um, Liverpool on the counter-attack. And that's where they're the most vulnerable. I mean, we saw it against Hoffenheim. Yes, granted, they went through um, against Hoffenheim. But that's because I think Hoffenheim didn't approach this game the right way. They, they were going in too attacking-minded themselves. you know. And if they would have sat deep and just soaked up the pressure. And Liverpool are, you know, Klavan and Matip... Um, yeah. they're not good defenders. They were decent defenders in the Bundesliga and they, that's, that's about it. You know, I was, I was very surprised that they went to a, a top team like Liverpool. And, um, statistically, of course, they were, Klavan was, uh, the best player in his, in his team, but he played for Augsburg. And, um, those people who know me a bit closer know what my opinion on <laughs> Augsburg is. And, it, you know, that's, that's just it for me. His, the, defensively, they're, they're very easy to beat. Um, that long ball that you can, that Spartak likes to play up front to the, the quick players, like Quincy Promise. Exactly. That's something that they can really hurt them. And I mean, Andrew, you are in England right now. And the, the story about Klopp's defense is all over, right? I mean, that's, that's the big storyline that Liverpool cannot defend. Well, it's, it is, it is quite a concern. I've got to be honest. Um, I mean, if you look at, if you look at the players they've got available, they have, they have filled in at least a major gap in my mind at left back. They brought in Andy Robertson from, from Hull. He's not played every game, but I think he's a very promising one for the future. But it's at centre back that I'm concerned. Um, I mean, Dejan Lovren came with what was at the time a hefty price tag from Southampton, what, two years ago, three years ago, whenever it was. And he's just error prone beyond belief at the moment. And you just cannot, you cannot depend on him in a high pressure situation. Joel Matip um, is the, probably their best defender, I'd say, uh, most dependable. But it's a, it, everybody will look at Liverpool's defence and has done for a while now and think they can be got at, they can be attacked. And I'm, I'm torn as to what I would say to what I would do as Carrera in this position because there is that, you know, he knows that if he's bold enough to at least give licence to his players to at least have a sustained period of pressurising them high up, that they can be got at. My concern for Spartak will be if they play how people expect them to play. Like you mentioned, it's a sensible approach in one sense, to, you know, sit back and not expose themselves to Liverpool's forwards. But I'm always wondering whether, I mean, I know it's a, it's a bit of a cliche, but attack is the best form of defence. Just simply go at Liverpool, make them sit back. Um, it depends what Carrera expects to get out of the game, but Liverpool's defence certainly is uh, is certainly a concern. And I don't see it improving any time this season. So they it, it is exciting for the fans if you will score We'll always score more than you, so you know three two four three whatever. But it's not uh, exactly what you want long term, is it? So Spartak certainly have opportunities there, uh, and I'm crossing my fingers that they take the most of them. Yeah, I'm not sure about the attacking approach. I know that you know in game pressing, Klopp's style is very good. If you play football with his teams, then they will punish you hard. 
this was already the case when he was with Dortmund. And uh, I, I think that sitting deep and, um, you know, the moment Liverpool have to play um, and develop chances and, you know, that hold the ball and, and play possession football, that's when, when Klopp's football struggles. So that's, I, that I personally, I would do it that way. I would, I would yeah. sit deep. Um, that five for one formation actually that he used would against Tosno might be a good formation for him. Play, uh, the fast players, play guys like a promise, play Rocha, you know, who seems to be a very fast player as well. Yeah. And I hit them on the counter attack. Then that's, that's how I would approach this game, approach this game like it would be in a way fixture. I think that is the, the solution to it. And, you know, he will, Otiotritje is going to be amazing. I am really looking forward to, to see it for this because I, I think it's going to be a fantastic venue for the Champions League. I was there for the, for the Confederations Cup. It was basically mostly my favorite stadium at the Confederations Cup. Um, just because of the atmosphere, the way that the stadium is built is, um, is a really fantastic venue. And I think, Traveling Liverpool fans are in for a treat. Um, you know, Moscow is a fantastic city. It's a great place to visit. And I think that, you know, traveling Liverpool and Manchester United fans as well, by the way, will really enjoy it, uh, especially because they don't have to go all, all the way out to Kimki. So I think that's, that is something that the, the traveling English supporters can really look forward to is, um, a great city to visit. Um, don't believe the scare stories in the English media, guys. It's, it's, it's not true. You don't have anything to worry about when you go visit uh, either CSKA or Spartak. Uh, the police and the security will be tight. And um, I, I think that both clubs will do their utmost to, to, to celebrate these games in the fashion they should be celebrated. Because this is going to be two really great games between uh, two big Russian sides and two English sides. So I'm really looking forward to both those games. And um, I'm going to gonna make it. I don't often do this, but let's do some predictions. And uh, Andrew... CSKA, Manchester United, what do you reckon? Scoreline prediction for CSKA against Manchester United. Um, oh, blimey. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of torn. I think Manchester United will win, like I said. Uh, I don't think it'll be by more than one, but I'm going to go for 2-1 to Manchester United. Okay, and, Spart- and Spartak Liverpool, Tim? Um, uh, win for Spartak 2-1. Oh, okay, well... There it is. We'll see what happens. Um, let's go over to our Ukrainian friends, guys. Shakhtar Donetsk. And wow. They, <laughs> you know, they, they beat Napoli 2-1. And that was probably a result that, uh, not many in Europe expected. But those who have watched Shakhtar Donetsk over the last few years know what a potent side they are. And Andrew, I'll go to you first. What a result. I mean, what a result. They went up 2-0 at one point and really took it to Napoli. And Napoli is one of those teams that are really in vogue right now, right? One of those sides that everyone is kind of secretly betting for to, to win maybe the Italian Championship, but or maybe also go far in the, in the Champions League. And they've been undone. Well, just absolutely breathtaking stuff. Um, and you know what? It's not just the fact that, you know, we cover the region and we've talked a lot about Shakhtar and we've watched their play. Um, it's not that we have that allegiance to them, but it's the fact that I know, I'm not saying anybody in particular, but I got the feeling a lot of people just assumed Napoli being from 
being from Syria and being a great side, which they undoubtedly are, would would come over to Ukraine and wouldn't have too much trouble beating Shakhtar. And I was pleased that Shakhtar proved a lot of people wrong. Um, I didn't expect it. I'll be honest. Um, I did not expect it. But um, it's well, it's just fantastic for for Ukrainian football to get a result like that. And what I'm hoping personally is that Shakhtar don't just just think, well, okay, this will help us get third spot. I want them to target the top two. Now, that's going to be a really, really difficult ask um, with the group that they have. But, look, it, it, it's a short thing. It's only a short six-game six group. They've only got five games left. They've got that win under their belt, which is an unexpected one. Yes, OK, Manchester City in mm. away. <laughs> My word, that's going to be a tough, that's going to be a tough one. And I, I really genuinely can't see them winning that. But, you know, hopefully, I believe we have uh, John McKenzie reporting on that one, don't we? Yes, he got accredited yesterday, so we'll have someone from Football Grad on that, and that's well, going to have live blog and all of that. That's going to be that's going to be an interesting follow for anyone that certainly watching um, following John's coverage of of that game. Um, I oh blimey, I mean, if Shakhtar got anything from that game away to Manchester City, then suddenly, you know, they they really are. Um, they really are in the driving seat for top two, I'd say, um, after that. Um, they'll have a two games against Feyenoord before facing Napoli and, and City again. So the two games against Feyenoord, six points from them, and suddenly, bang, there you go, their second spot. Yeah, and of course, Manchester City did, did in uh, Watford on the weekend and are currently first in the league. I know you love that fact, don't you, Andrew? First in the league for City. <laughs> Well, you know, if, if people want to buy first place, that's up to them, you know. <laughs> and buy it with oil money, no doubt. No, well, oil money. So we have oil against coal and steel. On, <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, Commodity I, derby. Schachter Donetsk, of course, Schachter is, uh, Schachter is uh, Russian for... It's actually very similar in German. Schacht is, um, is like, um, you know, is, is a mine. And that's why they call it the miners. And then, you know, um, a Schachtjör is someone who does work in the mines. And they were called the Stachanovites, of course, back in the time of, you know, early foundation. And Stachanovite was a coal miner who broke, uh, Stachanov, I believe was it. He won a, he won, broke a whole bunch of coal mining records. I think he did 13 requirement, uh, you know, how much you need to get coil in a day. I think he th- th- did it 13 times per day, something like it was yeah. something ridiculous. I'm sure the, the Soviet propaganda cooked that one up, but yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's, that's basically, and they were named, uh, Stahanovites at first. And the Donbass is, of course, big coal mining. Um, unfortunately, they do not play at the Donbass right now because of the ugly conflict between uh, Russia and Ukraine. And it's still ongoing. And I've recently seen pictures from Donetsk, um, a city that um, suffers from it because the outskirts, of course, are the front line. And uh, it's it's really hard to believe that, you know, in this day and age, in the middle of Europe, there is such a conflict and um, that we have almost gone back to day to day and Shachter Donetsk is that reminder, the only reminder because Ukraine conflict is almost not in the news anymore, even though it's still going on. Um, they have now moved to the Metalist Stadium and, and the Metalist Stadium in Kharkov and a good opportunity for them because the Metalist Stadium is of course empty because Metalist Kharkov went bankrupt following the, the Maidan revolution as the owner um, has escaped first to Belarus and then to Russia, great story in itself. We have that covered on Football Grad. 
but it, it means that they more or less have a home sit, home stadium now to play in because Lvov in the very west of the country is Ukrainian speaking Shakhtar Donetsk Russian speaking club and uh, they have been warmly welcomed in Kharkiv and that has added to that hasn't it Tim the fact that they actually now have a home a real home um, to play in again is a huge difference maker for them isn't it Absolutely yes and the it just the um, the results of uh, Euro in Ukraine in uh, 2012 when they hosted uh, Euro with uh, Poland and those beautiful stadiums are there. So I watched the highlights from the, the Napoli game. This beautiful stadium, um, top class uh, stadium. It was, I think, almost full, if not sold out. So the atmosphere was great. Even they're playing away from home, but given how many Brazilians uh, there are and the foreign players there are on the team, I don't think it makes a uh, such a huge difference to them if they play at uh, in at, at home in Donetsk versus the, when they play at Metalist Stadium. So um, it's it's all there. The quality of of, of the stadium, the quality of the night was there. So obviously the support was there. The 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 fans were behind the team. There's, it was funny to see some some close-ups of the fans. Some were wearing Shakhtar shirts, and some were wearing Ukrainian national shirts, and some were wearing Metalist shirts. So there was quite a few. You can see that few categories of people were at the game. People who support Ukrainian football in general and proper, not proper, but like the actual. Shakhtar fans. Yeah. So, um, strong team. Uh, I, to be quite honest, I don't see many chances against the Man City. Not because of Shakhtar, just given the form which Man City is right now. Was it 15 nothing in the, in the last three games? Yeah. Uh, the, the, the goal difference. So, it's just like the, the amazing uh, squad and the amazing front line which City in, has right now. It will be a very tough game. But if they get a point or who knows, a win there, they definitely will be in a driving seat for that uh, second spot and they will be, uh, and given that the next two games are against Feyenoord, which are doable games, so, you know, that win against Napoli was strategically extremely important, maybe the the, the most important result uh, that the Ukrainian team uh, could have got uh, in this um, first match day. Yeah, absolutely, agree, and um, maybe just to add, Kharkiv is the, the home of most of the refugees of the Donbass conflict, so proper home for them until we'll all keep our fingers crossed that that the situation in eastern ukraine resolves this way one way or another but that doesn't take away from that game from now it's going to be oil against coal and steel and i'm really looking forward to this i'm big fan of Shakhtar donetsk have been a big fan of Shakhtar donetsk for quite some time and i'll definitely tune into this game and can't wait to see what John is reporting from it. So stay tuned on footballgrad.com. We'll have this game. Um, a game that we did have was Carbach against Chelsea. And I really want to only briefly talk about this. 6-0. Did we expect anything else, Andrew? Well, if we're being perfectly honest, no. It's exactly mm. what we expected. Um, you want to see a bit of fight and spirit from Carabao. and But the, the truth is, even they... We'll not be expecting anything other than last place in the group. They'll hope to put up a bit of a fight. And it's their home games where they will have the the best chance um, of anything, of causing an upset. Um, but yeah, like yeah, like, like you said, it's it's what we expected. I don't think anything less than six still really would have been would have been good enough. I mean, it's, it sounds a bit horrible, a bit harsh, a bit patronising almost, but it's, it's just not. I mean, Chelsea just are a fantastic side. Carabao are very inexperienced in Europe, at least. So, 
Yeah, um, yeah. Unfortunately, six nil it was, but they've got that game out of the way. That's the that's the plus side, and next I guess they'll just have to. Well, yeah, a nice and easy game coming up next. So, <laughs> in their, well, in their home from home, I guess they will try to try to cause uh, as many problems as they can. If they can, if they can score early on. Perhaps they might try and hold out for a draw. Um, but I'll be honest, I think they'll be lucky to get a single point from their group. Um, and that, in a way, they shouldn't be too embarrassed about that. But, you know, the more they qualify for Europe over the years, hopefully they will get stronger, get stronger players and be able to start challenging. But for now, I'm afraid I don't see, I don't see much success for them this season. Yeah, I, I would go along with that. And we'll, we'll see how Roma does with the traveling. I think that's really the only obstacle, the long distance traveling from Italy to Azerbaijan. It's a long flight. It's a long trip. But I mean, honestly, I believe that Roma will probably, um, do something similar than what Chelsea did and, uh, beat them by quite a bit. Boys, I want to move over to the Europa League. And, uh, before we talk about the Russian teams and, uh, the Ukrainian teams, I want to, Get our focus on Bate Borisov against Arsenal. And, uh, the reason I'm doing that is because I want to stay in London for just a moment. And London, of course, you know, uh, the, Emir- the Emirates and Arsenal demonstrated that they do not deal well with, uh, traveling visitors. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they did not expect 20,000 German fans to show up a bit. This is going to be a bit different for them, isn't it? When they go to Belarus, um, Europe's, Last dictatorship, as Belarus is often uh, described, and you know you would expect uh, that the going to Borisov is going to this uh, bleak Soviet village where there is nothing there. Um, but when you look at the the Borisov Stadium, and uh, I don't know if you two are aware of it, but when you look at that stadium, it's probably one of the most beautiful stadiums in the Champions in the Europa League, and. Uh, Bate are a team, yeah. a Bate are a team that have surprised some people in the past and not just in the Europa League, but in the Champions League. I remember when they went to Munich and beat Bayern. And, uh, Andrew, that is, that is something that Arsenal have to be a bit wary of, eh? Well, yes and no. I mean, I think, I think the fact that they have that history, uh, under, well, particularly under Viktor Goncharenka, mm-hmm. um, that, they will have that belief that they can get some results that will raise a few eyebrows. And like, like you mentioned, it's an intimidating place to go. That stadium, like you mentioned, the uh, in, in Borisov is absolutely stunning. Lovely little ground. And I believe it only holds about 15,000, 15,000, yeah. 20,000. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not a big place. And, the, and it obviously will be absolutely packed for a visit of, you know, a big club like Arsenal. So atmosphere will be intimidating. However, what I would say is that, um, I mean, Bate now, we, you know, they, they don't have quite the same luster as they had a few years ago. Gontranka was just a miracle worker with them. Um, I don't expect them to repeat those sort of feats that you alluded to. The, the Bayern Munich result was the one that stands out, of course. However, on the other hand, again, um, Arsenal themselves are just in, well, basically a bit of a mess as a club, um, to be quite frank. And they have some fantastically talented players, but they just don't seem to be able to string more than two or three proper results together. And this is the sort of game where Arsene Wenger is very likely to rest a few players, rotate, bring in some youngsters. There is a chance. 
they, they should win. Arsenal should win comfortably, but there is a chance. It's not a foregone conclusion. So, yeah, I, I certainly think it's one to keep an eye on. Um, and Arsenal should not take it for granted. Yeah, well, of course, I have the full preview for you. But one thing that I want to point out before we move over to our, our Russian teams, the two Russian teams, is Bart Borisov have won the Belarusian Championship 11 years in a row. And they are now on match day 22 in, in Belarus. The, the league season, of course, is on the old Soviet calendar. And here comes, they may not win the championship this year. They are four points behind Dynamo, Dynamo Minsk, who are in first, and Shakhtyor Soligorsk, who are in second. So not, not quite the same side than we had a few years ago, but you know, 11 times champion in a row in Belarus. Uh, so that's that's quite something, and we might see a changing of the guards um, in Belarusian football, and maybe something that Arsenal supporters, uh, you know, can look at and see. Well, they're not quite the side that beat Bayern, so we don't have to worry too much. We all know what happens when Arsenal plays Bayern. The results are very predictable in recent years. <laughs> But we'll leave poor Arsenal alone. Um, <laughs> and I go to when I go to Senate and uh, Senate. It's absolutely destroyed Vada, uh, the Macedonian side, one of the big outsiders of this tournament. And now, um, host Real Sociedad. And Tim, this is a game that we can really look forward to at the Krestovsky. I expect the Krestovsky will be full for this. This is going to be a fantastic game, won't it? Yeah, absolutely. Two, two good playing side. Um, that's actually the only game where I see a potential, maybe a way at Sociedad, but maybe a potential upset for Zenit. But Zenit been, has been in a fantastic form. Great squad. They definitely have the strongest team and the best team in form right now in Russia. So uh, at the new stadium, the, the, the capacity and like just the attendance at the stadium has been fantastic, even for like, fairly not interesting games um, against weaker opposition in Russia. They still get a, a, approximately 50,000 people at the new stadium. So the atmosphere is fantastic. The team is in a great form. Um, the, in the Europa League, um, Mancini, he gives chances to players who hasn't been playing that much. For example, Artyom Zuba, he gets his minutes um, in, in, in Europe, and he has definitely a pro point to prove uh, ahead of uh, the World Cup coming up. So uh, even it might be a weakened side uh, or maybe you know a rotated let's say rotated side against Real Sociedad there will be players who are in, in great quality who want to prove their point and uh, yeah, I don't see Zenit having too many problems in that group in general I think they should easily get the the, the you know the first place and um, progression to the to, to the knockout phase but uh, That that's a, that could be an interesting game because that's the strongest opposition. We also see that exciting game. So yeah, should be should be a good game. Yeah, I agree. I this, I'm actually looking forward to this and Zenit's four three three this this Monday against Ufa looked very good. You know, and then the, 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 when you look at the squad right now, especially with all the Argentine players, it's something to really look forward to. Kranovita in that central midfield looked good. Kokorin has been outstanding, right, Andrew? A really good form. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm actually delighted for the guy because I've defended him for a while and a lot of people last season criticised him. But I put that a lot more down to how he was deployed and how his confidence was slightly undermined, in my opinion, by Michele Luchescu last season. This season, he's just he's shown confidence. He's shown responsibility. 
he's he set up goals. You know, he he laid one on for Artem Zuba against Vardar um, when realistically everybody expected him to score um, himself. And it's just it, it's an incredible difference it makes when you've got one guy who's just on fire and he's just driving people forwards. His teammates look at him and think. I know we can give it to Sasha and he's going to score or he's going to make something happen. It makes a world of difference to play behind a striker in such good form like that. Um, and I just, I generally, I'm really pleased for the guy. You know, he may have his attitude or may have had his attitude issues in the past where people criticise his application, but he's got talent. And, you know, a lot of pressure comes with having talent at a young age like he's had. And he's shown the mental fortitude to come through it. So, um, yeah, Kukoin is the it's just a man on fire at the moment in Russia and behind him he's got such quality so Zanit yeah I agree with you guys I think uh, I think this game is of all the games the one they need to be most careful about Real Sociedad are, are an excellent side they're doing very well in Spain at the moment but I don't expect them to have too many problems getting first place in the group but what is really it's not really the group stage that we measure them by is it they, yeah. they should be getting out group stage every year the measure is how far can they go uh, and for me I'd be disappointed if they didn't get to, at the very least, the semi-finals this year. I think anything less than that is a, is underwhelming at, at best. Yeah, I would go along with that. But um, I want to move over to the the next side, and I'm going to stay with you, Andrew. Um, locomotive, no-nonsense draw against um, Copenhagen 0-0. Probably the result that they, they wanted there. Um, Copenhagen is not exactly an easy place to go to. They now play um, FC Slin. Yeah, I have to be honest, I do not know very much about this this side uh, from the Czech Republic. Um, this has to be another three points. This has to be three points for Locomotive. Um, anything else would be a disappointment, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. It's, an, it's a. I mean, if they have the slightest ambitions of securing a comfortable progression to the knockouts. They just absolutely have to be winning this game. This and the Sharif game, well, realistically, all of the home games, but the Sharif and Zlin games, if they can't beat um, both of them, then morally they don't deserve to go through if they can't beat them. I mean, it's no disrespect to Zlin. I, they may well be a an up-and-coming Czech side, but like you say, I, I don't know much about them, but they they just cannot... There cannot be a side that should be troubling Locomotive if Locomotive wants to become, a, at the very least, an established Europa League side. And, and it does look like they'll qualify for next year's competition as well. So, you know, there's no pressure on them to win the tournament. Nobody's expecting that of them. But in a group like this, a point away to Copenhagen was perfectly respectable. But this, this home game absolutely has to be, and realistically, they should be looking for the goal difference as well, just mm. in case. Um, Rack up a few goals, confidence-boosting win after losing to Amkar at home last weekend, which was a shocking result. Um, so, you know, if they can if they can just get their Europa League uh, campaign up and running with a win, get to the knockouts, and then make a real crack at getting quarterfinals for Locomotive would be a success, I think. Um, but absolute minimum is winning this game and winning it comfortably. Yeah, I would go along with that. And, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on Locomotive Slin. I want to move over to the, our last two fixtures, and that's Dinamo Kiev uh, against Partizan and, uh, Soria Luhansk against Athletic Bilbao. And we'll start with Dinamo Kiev against Partizan. Tim, this is, this is going to be actually quite a fantastic game. Two teams, um, you know, big side from Belgrade and uh, Ukraine's most storied club going at each other. Two volatile fan groups too. Um, oh, this is going to be heated. 
really, really heated um, over in Belgrade, won't it? Yeah, I'm not sure. I actually, I'm curious what kind of relationship they have because like Spartak has, uh, they have, they have like friendship relationship mm-hmm. with Serbian Zvezda. So I'm not sure if this is, um, you know, a big rivalry or it's a friendship, uh, in terms of fan relationship. But they're absolutely right. Like we all know that, uh, Serbian and Ukrainian and like in generally Eastern European far- fans are always on fire and that not always finishes very, very nicely and proudly uh but uh, yeah the game should be great and um just just looking at the at the table that's an extremely important game for for both sides because um yeah maybe skenderbru the team from albania sorry sorry skenderbru fans if you're listening but i cannot really pronounce the the team name but they look like the outsiders but the other team in the group is young boys which yeah. proved to be have quite a few european experience in the recent years a good squad so for both teams where if dynamo wins they will be ahead of uh, leading the group so it's it's extremely important game for dynamo and the uh, same for partisan playing at home against one of the biggest group rivals so hopefully Hopefully it will be just a great game of football with no real fan troubles. Yeah, I, I think this is going to be an interesting one. Partizan, of course, have um, good relationships with CSKA. I don't know how that extends into Ukraine. Um, I know that the relationships between Serbian fans and Ukraine fans haven't been that easy because a lot of Serbian fans have supported um, have been anti-Maidan and pro-Russia. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. It's going to be an an interesting one. Uh, keep an eye on that. Um, Soria, in the meantime, they're headed to Spain to face Athletic Bilbao and Andrew, uh, poor Soria. They had a poor start against Östersund's FK, a team that I also didn't know very much about. Uh, Soria, of course, like Schachter Donetsk, are forced into exile. They can't play their home games in Luhansk because Luhansk is a war zone and they are currently playing their games in Lviv. Um, this is going to be a tough away game in Bilbao. Bilbao are one of those big Spanish teams, of course, and um, can't really expect too much from this, can we? Uh, unfortunately, not. I mean, you desperately hope they will they will make life difficult for Bilbao. But um, uh, you know, Athletic they have um, they, they have experience. They, I mean, I remember painfully. I think it was four years ago. Um, three or four years ago, they absolutely dismantled Manchester United at Old Trafford. It generally was one of the most impressive displays I think I've ever seen against Manchester United. And this is the same club that has a very, very strong identity through their youth system where they they have a strong Basque identity. And they they have experience in Europe as well. Zoria, yes, they played Manchester United last year, um, but I'm not sure how much they could have picked up from that. And... It's yeah. It's there's not really much else to say other than if Zoya get anything from the game, it'll be a shock. As for the group itself, well, um, there aren't really many. <laughs> there aren't really many opportunities for them to pick up points no. if, if you look at it on. But so um, if if they got second place in that group, it'd be a miracle. I really don't see it happening, and um, this is the hardest of them all, in my opinion. So unfortunately, Zoya fans, I don't see much coming from this one. Yeah, of course, in Bilbao, they played Hertha uh, Berlin. Hertha did to Bilbao what they do to every side. Uh, they, they bore them to sleep and get a draw or win uh, by, you know, by basically literally boring their opposition to, to sleep. They may be the most boring team in the Bundesliga to watch, <laughs> but they, they get the results. Um, Paul Dadai always gets the results. So that will be, of course, Soria's next opponent. You mentioned that um, not much in there for Soria. So 
Yeah, I, I, I think so too. Uh, it's, it's a good, good story that Soria are regularly now in the Europa League because they have firmly established themselves as the third biggest team in Ukrainian football with all the bankruptcies uh, that have wiped out Dnepro and of course Metalist in recent years. And, you know, th- that's, it's a good story for them that they are regularly in this competition. But unfortunately, I think it will take them another two years or so until you know, they can maybe compete in this competition. And uh, we mentioned it a few weeks ago. Uh, sorry, I have, I think they have one or two foreigners playing in that side. They're almost a purely Ukrainian team. So, you know, it's a good story, but sadly, I don't think there's much in them for that. Anyways, guys, that's it. Well, we covered it all. We, we recapped last week. We previewed next week. Um, some very exciting games to look forward to. I'm excited. I, I love the Europa and Champions League. It's one of my favorite competitions and we have it all covered on footballgrad.com, fußballstadt.com. We'll have, I think I put out the list 15 previews coming up, um, of the, of the games and teams that we cover. We'll have you, Andrew, in Moscow. We have John in Manchester. Um, I think and Chris is also applying for a couple games. So there's plenty of coverage coming to you guys next week. So that's, that's something to look forward to. To, uh, for, for all of us and all the listeners from, uh, on the Football Grad podcast. But other than that, Andrew, what are you up to, uh, in the next few days? Well, for the next few days, uh, my focus is on getting accreditation for those two games, the Spartak and Tisco Moscow games. Um, I'm, I'm a bit nervous about it, but that's what I'll be working on most. I'll be in Moscow, whatever happens, and, um, I'll do whatever reporting I can of those two. That's what I'm most excited about, um, seeing two English clubs in Russia. So, uh, that'll be my focus over the next week or so. Yeah, excellent. I'm looking forward to that and I'm sure it will work out. It always has. We have been very fortunate in always getting the accreditation that we wanted and I'm pretty sure Spartak will work this out for us. Uh, Tim, what you have been up to? I, I think we are going to be in Vancouver again together this Saturday, won't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, uh, but the, my first goal is to help uh, Andrew to get his accreditation and know, uh, using my skills of knowing Russian language. So hopefully that's that will work out. This is my number one goal for the week. Uh, but then also um, the Whitecaps game. And also we mentioned last time that we tried to talk, to speak to um, Ibsen, uh, who played for Spartak. And we did speak, but with... Uh, um, there's a story in itself how we got this interview and we'll share it probably on on, on another pod but uh, yeah there was a bit of translation issue with with that interview so we're still not sure how we're gonna report it on the football grad football grad is it gonna be in the form of an article or is it gonna use it on the pod so this is what we'll have to sort out and we will get this to you listeners in some um form hopefully yeah Big shout out to BC Place who helped us get this thing <laughs> to you. <laughs> and it is a story in itself. And we'll make sure we, we tell the story in this proper fashion. This is the fashion. best part of the story. It is the best part of the story. And I want to give a big shout out to, uh, the Flavia, the nice girl that helped us translate, uh, Ibsen's interview. So, well, there is definitely going to be, you're going to be a room in space on Ibsen. And I, I'm actually think the first thing we're going to do is a good article on Ibsen that's going to be out on Football Grad very soon. Uh, that's part of my homework. But yeah, you can find all of that at Football Grad Live. You know, all the previews, this part, all the other parts, all on at Football Grad Live. Uh, you, you can follow me at Manuel Weff, uh, I talk mostly Bundesliga on my personal Twitter account. So if you, if you're into that, you, you can follow me. But also I want to give a big shout out to, uh, our iTunes account. If you like what we do and if you like listening to our pods, uh, please leave a review 
on iTunes. Uh, give us a rating. Um, criticize us too. Like if you think there's something we can do better, sure, tell us. Uh, we like to hear from you, um, and we like to get feedback. So yeah, please give us a rating, and also shoot us a message, uh, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you can always shoot us a message. Uh, we're always open to review and criticism, and also encouragement. Well, that's it from us. Until next week, das wird dann hier. This is Rachel Fisher. And this is Desi Jenikin. And we host the Hollywood Crime Scene Podcast. We're really excited to tell you about the best Christmas ever on AMC Plus, where every day feels like Christmas morning. It's the holiday season, and that means it's time to see old friends like Buddy the Elf, Heat Miser, and Clark Griswold. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. They're all here on AMC Plus. So celebrate the best Christmas ever, anytime, anywhere. AMC Plus is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. We can get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper. And now, adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits. Then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code EASY5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. We can get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper. And now, adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code EASY5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.